We'll be in a psalm this morning that um, I ran across as I was reading the psalms. Um, it might be one that you guys have never heard of before. Maybe never read, or if you read it, you don't remember. Um, it's the 23rd psalm. Does yeah. that sound familiar to anyone? Never read that one. Yeah. <laughs> There's a... Actually, part of me wanted to avoid the more well-known ones. But uh, I couldn't escape it this week. So we're going to look at the 23rd Psalm today. The 23rd Psalm. I do have a small confession to make. I just need to let you know that I am, I am a sheep. At least according to Facebook. Some of my friends and family... I guess I use those terms loosely, probably. <laughs> Some of them seem to enjoy getting on Facebook and labeling anyone who doesn't agree with their opinion on things as, you're just a sheep. So I raise my hand to that. I'm just a sheep, right? They are intelligent, introspective, objective, and independent thinkers. And anyone who disagrees with their intelligent, introspective, objective, and independent thoughts are just sheep. So I don't know about you, but I am a sheep, and not just according to Facebook, but according to the Bible. And the more I read the Bible, the more I'm okay with being a sheep. And every sheep's favorite psalm has to be Psalm 23. Like there's a well-known book, maybe some of you have read it, I think it's called A Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23. I think the guy that wrote it is Philip Keller. I might be wrong on that. I've never read it, but you might call this A Sheep Looks at Psalm 23. So let me read it. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. There are really two images in this psalm. We often think of it simply as the Lord is our shepherd, but there are really two images going on. The first image is the Lord as a shepherd. Uh, in verses 1 through 4, the Lord is a good shepherd. Actually, the Lord is a good shepherd king who provides for and protects those under his care. The Lord is a good shepherd king who provides for and protects those under his care. The first statement of the psalm has to be among the most well-known in all of Scripture. The Lord is my shepherd. The metaphor has lost some of its impact for us, I think. Too much bad religious artwork of the miraculously handsome and mysteriously clean Jesus figure. T 
tending a handful of perfect and pristine sheep has generally been our point of entry into this image. It translates well into Sunday school coloring pages, but doesn't help us a whole lot understanding the psalm. The work of a shepherd was dirty and dangerous. Think of David, right? Imagine how thrilled his older brothers must have been to pass on this work of shepherding to the next brother and to the next brother and to the next brother until it finally came to the youngest. I'm sure those of you with older brothers kind of know how that is. Or if you are an older brother, you know the joy of being able to pass on the chore. In my house, it was cleaning the litter box. I just remember being grateful when I was too little to do it. (laughs) But David, the shepherd boy, right? He's not laughing at the cute antics of his father's sheep while he pulls out a journal to compose a bit of poetry. Being a shepherd prepared David to fight Goliath. Think about that. It's a dangerous and a dirty job. The Lord is my shepherd. Most scholars call this psalm a royal psalm, which seems strange because at first glance there's really not mention of a king or of his kingdom or of his rule or his reign. However, the Old Testament regularly uses the shepherd figure in connection with Israel's kings, for good and for bad. In Ezekiel 34, for example, we find an entire chapter committed to the image of kings as shepherds and, and to God's people as the flock. And as I've mentioned, it's sometimes not entirely positive. Shepherds can be corrupt, they can be selfish, they can be unjust, they can fail in their responsibilities. And this is exactly what has happened in Israel in Ezekiel 34. Listen to the judgment that Ezekiel the prophet hands down from the Lord to Israel's kings. Ezekiel 34, 1 through 10 The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Woe to you shepherds of Israel who only take care of yourselves. Should not shepherds take care of the flock? You eat the curds, clothe yourself with the wool, and slaughter the choice animals. But you do not take care of the flock. You have not strengthened the weak or healed those who are ill or bound up the injured. You have not brought back the strays or searched for the lost. You have ruled them harshly and brutally. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd. And when they were scattered, they became food for all the wild animals. My sheep wandered over all the mountains and on every high hill. They were scattered over the whole earth, and no one searched or looked for them. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As surely as I live, declares the sovereign Lord, because my flock lacks a shepherd, and so has been plundered and has become food for all the wild animals, Because my shepherds did not search for my flock, but cared for themselves rather than for my flock. 
Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says. I am against the shepherds and will hold them accountable for my flock. I will remove them from sending the flock so that the shepherds can no longer feed themselves. I will rescue my flock from their mouths and it will no longer be food for them. The Lord fires these corrupt shepherds. And then the Lord himself takes over to repair the damage they've done. Listen to verses 11 through 16. For this is what the sovereign Lord says, I myself will search for my sheep and look after them. As a shepherd looks after his scattered flock when he is with them, so will I look after my sheep. I will rescue them from all the places where they were scattered on a day of clouds and darkness. I will bring them out from the nations and gather them from the countries, and I will bring them into their own land. I will pasture them on the mountains of Israel, in the ravines, and in all the settlements in the land. I will tend them in a good pasture, and the mountain heights of Israel will be their grazing land. There they will lie down in good grazing land, and there they will feed in a rich pasture on the mountains of Israel. I myself will tend my sheep and make them lie down, declares the sovereign Lord. I will search for the lost and bring, bring back the strays. I will bind up the injured and strengthen the weak. But the sleek and the strong I will destroy. I will shepherd the flock with justice. So our shepherd is also our king. Don't ignore or don't miss the power of this image. If our shepherd's simply a shepherd because he's too young and too small to yet be a warrior, then we can ignore him, right? Like David was ignored until there were no brothers left to consider his king. We can take him or leave him. We can desire his care, but we can forsake his calling if our king is our shepherd simply because he's too young and too small to be a warrior. But if the shepherd is also a king, then ignoring him or trying to pick and choose what we want and what we don't can and will have eternal consequences. Now, I know I've mentioned this a few times before about how I misunderstood this psalm for years. Long before I became a follower of Jesus, I memorized this psalm, the Lord's Prayer, John 3.16, and the Old Rugged Cross. Thanks to Christian daycare and many vacation Bible schools. I always thought the, ter the first two statements in this psalm were one sentence. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And it never made any sense to me. If the Lord's your shepherd, wouldn't you want him? Why would you not want him? At some point, I don't remember when, I must have read a different translation or just thought about it differently. I shall not be in want. Or I lack nothing. It's always a good idea, by the way, to ask kids what they think these things mean when we make them memorize them. With the Lord as my shepherd, I lack nothing. 
It's important to do our best to assume the position or the posture of the sheep at this point. If we don't, we might misunderstand that the psalmist, the sheep, we might misunderstand what he means by lacking nothing. He lacks nothing a sheep needs, grass, water, and protection. This isn't a promise that the Lord, as a good shepherd, will give us everything we want or everything we desire. I desire a PlayStation 5 and a Gibson ES-335, which is a really expensive electric guitar. But as a sheep, I can't play video games or the guitar because sheep don't have fingers. The good shepherd provides life in the flock. And that should be enough for us. The shepherd provides rest in, and grass and rest in grass. The image here is that the sheep can graze in peace, not having to worry about what might be lurking nearby. The shepherd provides water because he knows where to find it. He's experienced. He is wise. Having been fed and watered, the psalmist, the sheep, now takes a brief break from this image. And in the first half of verse 3, he says this, He refreshes, he restores my soul. This gracious provision of what he needs revives the depleted soul. And then we're right back to the sheep and the shepherd image. The good and the wise shepherd leads his sheep along the right paths for the sake of his name. There's some debate here as to whether um, this should be translated the right paths or the paths of righteousness. I would say it doesn't really matter. In the Old Testament, especially in the wisdom literature of the Old Testament, so think other Psalms, think Proverbs, to be on the right path is to be on the path or in the way of righteousness. And I think this part of the image is speaking to the wisdom of the shepherd. The shepherd knows the land. The shepherd knows the terrain. He is experienced. Because he is experienced and because he is wise and because he is good, he will not lead his sheep to destruction. To do so would bring shame upon his name to ruin his reputation as a good shepherd. So the shepherd has not only the good of his sheep at stake, he also has his own reputation on the line and how he takes care of the sheep. However, the right path or the righteous path is not always an easy path, is it? The sheep and the shepherd follow the right path, but sometimes it looks like a rocky ravine where even in the middle of the day, darkness and shadows prevail. It's in the valley of the shadow of death, or another way to translate it would be in the darkest valley. It's not just death itself, but really any danger or difficulty that he has in mind. But the good shepherd leads his sheep through this dangerous path safely. And the sheep have no fear because of the presence of the shepherd. For you are with me. Now, this has been a theme we've seen throughout the psalm so far. God's help 
The safety and security that he provides is never disconnected from his person or from his presence. It's not something we can have without having him also. The shepherd's rod and staff comfort his sheep. The rod and staff protect the sheep from enemies and keep the sheep going in the right direction. And this provides great comfort to the sheep. And we come to verse 5, and there's a change in the image. We're no longer sheep and shepherd. Now the Lord is a host. The Lord is a good host who provides refuge and prepares his guests for the banquet. The Lord as shepherd gets more verses in the psalm, but the Lord as host is equally as powerful of an image. In verses 5 and 6, the Lord is a good host who provides refuge and provides hospitality. The picture being painted is that the psalmist has fled from his enemies and has sought refuge in a home. We know a little bit later that it's the house of the Lord. It could be the temple. It could be uh, maybe the image of a king's palace. But whatever it is, it's a safe place, even though the enemy is still nearby. The Lord as host prepares a feast to share. Imagine how secure the psalmist must feel in this home. That he can sit down, that he can enjoy a meal, a feast, a banquet, really a celebration, even in the presence of his enemies. I mean, normally this would present the enemy with a perfect opportunity to attack. But the security provided by the host cannot be overcome. So they eat and they drink. There's no hurry. I think of times when my family and I have been pressed for time, usually traveling somewhere, and we might have a gas station dinner. You ever had one of those? Mm -hmm. Beef jerky, peanut butter crackers, and whatever delicacies the roller grill is producing. (laughs) In the meal in this psalm, there's no hurry. The host even anoints the heads of his guests. This is an act of hospitality. It's an act of cleansing and refreshing his guests to prepare them for the meal. You might remember that Jesus once rebuked the Pharisees for not showing, or he rebuked a Pharisee for not showing this kind of hospitality. It's a beautiful story. Um, In Luke 7, Jesus has been invited to the home of a Pharisee, Simon, for a meal. And while this meal is going on, a notoriously sinful woman enters the home, interrupts the meal, and she washes Jesus' feet with her tears and her hair and her perfume. Simon, the Pharisee who invited Jesus, questions Jesus' identity. Right? If he were a prophet, he would know who and what kind of woman is doing this to him. Mm. Jesus responds because he knows what's in Simon's heart. And listen to Jesus' response. Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. 
You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. Verse 6 continues this image of the psalmist feasting in the house of the Lord in the presence of his enemies. It seems like when I hear Psalm 23 recited, we kind of rush through this last verse like, oh, thankfully I've got the middle parts which are hard to remember sometimes. Now I'm going to rush the end, kind of like we do in the Lord's Prayer sometimes. But I don't want to rush through it this morning because I think that in some way, this last verse is the gateway through which we enter into this experience as Christians, as people from the other side of the cross. The psalmist, he's a guest in the Lord's house, and he's expressing his confidence that the Lord's goodness and that his love or mercy or loving kindness will follow him as long as he lives. But there's another way to look at this. Consider Psalm 23 as a journey. It starts with the sheep in danger and in need of nourishment. And he's initially led by the good shepherd into green pastures and along still waters. But that path then proceeds into danger in the valley of the darkest shadows. Still, of course, being led by the shepherd. The sheep receives what he needs for life. Initially, he eats restfully, like I said, in green pastures and drinks from quiet waters. Then the path, remember, the path is still right, even when it becomes dangerous. Because the shepherd is wise, the path becomes dark and dangerous. Difficulties and even death itself are hiding in the shadows. Even in the midst of this, the sheep find security and safety in the presence of the shepherd. Then the metaphor changes, but not the story. Being pursued by his enemies, the psalmist finds refuge and a lavish meal in the house of the Lord, so much so that he desires to stay there as long as he lives. Considering his situation, his experience, where he has come from, and where he has ended up, the psalmist isn't so much predicting that goodness and love will follow him, but he's instead asserting that goodness and love have followed him. In fact, he says that goodness and love or goodness and mercy have pursued him. That's the word used there. It's not so much follow, like tagged along, but goodness, God's goodness and God's love have chased him, have pursued him all the way to the Lord's house. You see, he thought that it was his enemies who were pursuing him. But now he understands, now that he's in the Lord's house, sharing a meal with the Lord, that it was the Lord's goodness and the Lord's love that had been chasing him, leading him into the feast in the house of the Lord. So when I think of Psalm 23 as telling a story in this way, as recounting a journey that ends up, in the Lord's house, 
I can't help but be drawn to the teaching of Jesus, particularly in Luke chapter 14 and 15. These two chapters contain stories of a banquet, of a sheep and a shepherd, and of a lost son who ends up having a meal in his father's house. First, Jesus tells us the story about a great banquet in Luke 14. Right? Everyone who should have come, everyone who was invited to the banquet is too busy. So the master, the host of this banquet, he sends his servants out, tells them to bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. And the servant does this, but tells the master, there's still room. So the master fills the banquet with folks from the roads, from the country lanes, people off the street. For those of you who are followers of Jesus, who've been reconciled to God through the death and resurrection of his son, Jesus, you find yourself as a guest at the Lord's table, not as kings and queens, but as the poor, the crippled, the blind, the lame, people from the streets. That's who sits at the Lord's table. Then in Luke 15, Jesus tells three parables, all making the same point. God rejoices extravagantly, almost ridiculously so, when the lost are found. Mm -hmm. Two of these three parables use the same imagery as the 23rd Psalm. First, Jesus tells the story of the lost sheep. It really completes for us, I think, the image of Psalm 23. Well, what happens when one of these sheep, right, in spite of being you know, made to lie down in green pastures, and in spite of being led by quiet waters, in spite of all these gifts of God's goodness, what happens when he goes astray? What happens when he gets lost? Well, Jesus tells us the shepherd pursues it until he finds it, and then he invites his neighbors to celebrate with him over it. The shepherd pursues the lost sheep until he finds it. And then he throws a party. Then we have the parable of the lost coin with the similar overreaction to finding a small coin that's been lost. And the third parable is the parable of the lost son, the prodigal son, right? The son shames his father, abandons his family, and ends up jealous of the pigs that he is feeding. He comes crawling home, hoping to be accepted as a slave. Maybe being able, after some time, to earn his way back to being his father's son. But instead, he's greeted before he even gets there. And then once he returns to his father's home, he's greeted by a feast. He gets the best robe. He gets a ring. He gets sandals for his feet. He gets music, and he gets dancing. We also know that Jesus is our good shepherd. About half of John chapter 10 is filled with this imagery. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. He goes on to say that the good shepherd's not like a hired hand, not just someone paid to take care of someone else's sheep. So when there's danger, The hired shepherd runs away. They're not his sheep. He's not going to put his life on the line for them. 
But Jesus, as our good shepherd, he stays and he encounters the danger. He encounters the enemy and he even dies because they are his sheep. And then he tells us a little later in John 10, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And again, I lay down my life for the sheep. It's my hope and prayer for you all that as you think about Psalm 23, that you would experience the same provision, the same safety, the same security, the same kind of hospitality that the psalmist experiences. But I want you to not think of those blessings as some kind of generic and disembodied blessing. It is a blessing that Jesus died for and that he imparts to us by faith. And if you find yourself alone, if you find yourself out of the fold, away from the rest of the flock, know this, that God's goodness and God's love are pursuing you. Know that the Father wants to throw a ridiculous party when you return to his house. So I would say to you, if someone on Facebook or maybe to your face calls you a sheep, invite them to the banquet. Invite them to the banquet. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you that you are our shepherd, especially that your, your son proved himself to be the good shepherd by laying down his life for his sheep. And Father, as he knows you, may we know him. May we know him as he knows us. And Lord, I just pray that uh, for, for so many of us and for so many different reasons, um, it's there, there's so much to to uh, to grieve over. There's there's so many reasons to be in despair. Lord, I pray that your promises to us would cause us, would move us from despair to dependence. Father, I pray that seeing ourselves as sheep, as vulnerable, as weak as not knowing where to go unless someone guides us. Lord, rather than being a source of shame or embarrassment, Lord, might it lead us to the place where you can bless us with your presence, where you can bless us with this kind of nourishment that the psalmist experienced so many years ago. And Father, as your church, may we be faithful. May we be faithful to demonstrate the kind of character that our Good Shepherd displays and demonstrates to us. May we lay down our lives for our friends, for our neighbors, and even for our enemies. And may all this happen for the good of your kingdom, and for your glory. Amen. Amen.